I'm sorry to jump the gun on that, guys. Um, but uh, thank you for, um, <clears throat> for that prayer, Tom. Um, it actually feeds right into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, this kind of idea of a, a patterns and submissions, uh, or patterns and principles of submission today, or authority and, and, uh, and our governance. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the focal point of our study this morning, beginning in verse 13. So go ahead and find yourself there. We'll read the verses here in a few seconds. Um, and it goes all the way to, to the end of chapter, or verse 25, the final chapter of this uh, verse 2. You know, I began to think about this section in 1 Peter. You know, I was reminded of the time in this message, as, as Tom mentioned. You know, we're, we're celebrating the 4th of July this weekend, you know, celebrating our American independence. You know, the idea of freedom is, is part of our conversation, you know, during this time. You know, we're, we're reflecting on the founding of our government and our country. You know, we're celebrating that. A lot will be talked about this weekend, about our founding documents, our Declaration of Independence uh, from a tyrannical government. You know, we are, are really blessed to live in a society that allows us to live and, and flourish as we want. We also must rem be reminded that there are believers today that don't live in the same societies or have the same freedoms, freedoms but God is still working and ruling and blessing them in their context. All believers, no matter what their geographic location, share a common freedom. I want to share with you what my Independence Day was. My Independence Day really was the summer of 1986. When a good friend shared with me the person and work of Jesus Christ, and for the first time I saw myself as a sinner and my need for a Savior. When Christ saved me, he did not leave me where I was at, but he made me and brought me, in, uh, made me into a new person, brought me into a new family, brought me really into a new citizenship. That's what we're going to talk about today. And ultimately, he will bring me into a new heaven and a new earth. Now, we were reminded of last week this truth when Justin reminded that believers in 1 Peter all believers are no longer citizens of this world, right? We all have been really, we all have a new Independence Day from this world. We are aliens in a foreign land longing for a new home. So our relationship with our God and Savior matters. We are called to live in a world and called out of the world. It's good to be reminded of our standing, which comes from Romans 11. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that renewal of your mind comes through Christ. As he made us new citizens, we are to live in a life that is different from the rest of the world around us. And this leads us really to our, our section here in 1 Peter. You know, this passage is really kind of broken up into three sections. It's kind of long, but we're going to give it kind of an overview our first section is really our submission to the government. And later in these verses, you'll see our rightful uh, understanding of our submissions to our masters. And final section, you'll see our right understanding and submissions of Christ, really our example in the text. Now, before we read the text, I want to point out some, uh, some challenges. You know, how does a believer, right, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's while at the same time, making sure you render to God the things that are God's. 
You know, what does it mean to be to live in the world and yet at the same time not of the world? Yeah, you know, what does it mean to really live in this two, you know, 2022 July 4th one nation under God as a believer in an increasingly secular society? So, if you remember as we read through these passages, Gabriel a few weeks ago kind of explained our relationship to, to the vertical God, right? Really outflows to our vertical, horizontal, uh, to the world. So it's our relationship to God where it kind of flow out, has this outflow to the world. So as we read these next few verses, we'll see a pattern to help us kind of understand, you know, what are principles of our submission and give us a really a right understanding of our text today. So with that, I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as we read God's word. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. This is God's word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, by, that by doing good you should put to silence the, the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but live as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the, bre- love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. For this is the gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is if you, what credit is if, if when you sin you are beaten, for it you endure. But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then verse 21. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was a seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continually entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Church, this is the word of God. Be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, as we begin in verse 13, we again must be reminded of Peter's writing style. Now, you heard it referred to as a sandwich, right? I think Gabriel's kind of, uh, you know, the main, really the main point is in the middle. You know, the, the meat or the main ingredient uh, is, the, is really the main point of the text. I think Gabriel kind of switched it up and said, referred to it as a hot dog, right? Very appropriate for this weekend. Now, I'm going to do something a little different here. I'm going to kind of get away from these foods, something a little more appropriate. Uh, I'm going to refer to this as an Oreo. <laughs> now, I think we all agree that the Oreo is probably the best cookie ever made, right? What makes Oreo so great, it's really the center filling, right? Can you get amen on that? <laughs> yeah. It's the star of the cookie, right? 
It's what you want more of it, and why the makers of Oreo increase the center filling with double stuffed and triple stuffed, right? It's the reason you want them. Now, as we begin to look at this section starting in verse 13 through 17, this first section of, of Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to see our first pattern emerge, okay? The, our first Oreo, yeah, as we construct this first pattern. Now, verse 15 in your text is the center filling, the main point, with uh, verses 13, 14, one side of the cookie, and verses uh, 16, 17 on the other side, right? In these verses, I want to use them in a way this morning to help us come to some of the grips of what it means for us to live our lives in this century. First, then, we're going to use verse 15 in the verse as a kind of the key or focal point around which we're going to gather the instructions from verse 13 and 17. So verse 15 reads this, For this is the will of God, by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. For this is God's will that you, church, should be able to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people by doing good good. This is a statement which gives us understanding of the first section of our text, right? So you might ask yourself, who are these foolish people whom Peter is referring? Well, they're individuals, right, that are foolish in regards to the Christian life. In Peter's day, there were people saying things against Christianity, trying to bring it down. It wasn't simply they were lacked information, but it was that they were just, they were just ignorant. They were, you can say, willfully disobedient to the truth. They chose to really to ignore the clear instructions that had been provided to them by God in his word and Jesus' teaching. Now, church, I think we, uh, we can say that the existence of foolish people is clear today in our generation as it ever was. Right? You know, do you know foolish people that seek to disparage Christ in his church? I think we do. Now, Peter says that there are foolish people out there who speak against Christianity today, day in and day out, and they do so on the basis of ignorance. Now, these are people, you know, there are, there are people that are foolish, and when we, the best way to respond to them, how should, how should we respond to these people? Well, Scripture is clear. We should silence them. Right? There's foolish people out there, and the Bible is very clear. We should silence them. You know, I think we can all say that we like that, right? Now, the word here that, that is used for silence is a word that used this, uh, commonly used for gagging them. They should be muzzled, to muzzle them. This is actually the word that's used here, which means to muzzle a dog or an animal. Now, church, I know we know people have been in situations where we wish we could just muzzle somebody, right? right? Maybe reach to that TV screen, you know, reach across the room. Now, hopefully there's nobody in here you'd want to muscle, right? But however, while this is the picture that Peter is, is, is instructing us, he's not asking us to be physical in our muzzling the, in these, these foolish people, right? These, he's not asking us to be physically muzzle these people who are speaking against Christianity. No, the, the process that Peter is telling the church to muzzle or to gag these foolish people is really found in verse 15. Church, I want... The church, I want you to muzzle and silence these foolish people around you. How? From Scripture. Three simple words. By doing good. That's, that's it. By doing good. Now, now, doing good 
is, is not new to God's people. You know, how do, you, how do we define good? What is good? Micah 6, 8 tells us, tells us what's good. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So how do you muzzle a foolish person who continually works against Christianity? What is the divine strategy? The answer is simple, by doing good. This is how we say you are effectively a silenced, ignorant people. That's the principle. There are foolish people out there. They're ignorant. You need to silence them. And the way you're going to do that is by doing good. Well, then, how does that work itself out? What does Peter point to help us do good? What does it mean to go out in your, in your day-to-day, go back to work and back to school as you encounter people in your, in your everyday life? What instructions are we to take away from these verses as Christians living in a hostile world on this July 4th weekend? Peter gives us the answer to that and really the surrounding verses. The one half of our Oreo. At the beginning of the text, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Or the CSV version says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. And ultimately, church, the way that a Christian believer can do good or to science of the foolish talk is by being good people, is really be good citizens. That's what he's saying here. He says, a believer is to be a good citizen. He commands us to be good subjects, to be good subjects for God. Now, Paul writes this to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was uh, giving instructions. To, uh, Timothy was, I was asking, really, Paul was giving instructions to Timothy on how he should construct his church to guide his congregation. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, First then, first of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intersections, and thanksgiving be, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Paul tells Timothy, I want you to make sure that your congregation prays, Timothy. Prayers should be made for everyone. And then in verse 2, he says, for the kings, right, and all in authority, that you may lead a peaceful life and quiet life that's, that's, whole, that's godly and holiness. And Paul says, and what Paul says here is the exact same thing that Peter is expressing in our text today. Namely, the institution of civil government established by God needs to be upheld by its citizens. Even if Christians are going to be good citizens, they must uphold the institution of civil society, recognize that God established it for the well-being of human society. You know, back in our text, verse 14, God says our society is to be ordered. We have an orderly society under God, right? He says the governing authorities have power. They are sent to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So God has established it so that people who do well should be get applause and people who do badly should be punished. In other words, there exists in scriptures no place for anarchy. 
There's no place for a Christian anarchy movement. So it is imperative that those of us who know and love Christ and want to obey his word and follow him will uphold the structure of civil government. Now, Tom alluded to this this verse, but we're all familiar with Romans chapter 13. This passion is commonly used to discuss our relationship with the ruling governments. Romans 13 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good, conduct, but bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying here, because we live in a world that does not follow Christian values. Very important. There's a prevailing notion out there that we are called to uphold a civil government as long as it does what, what we like as Christians. Well, God says no. You are to uphold a civil government because God instituted it for the well-being of society, even given the fact that it does not institute Christian values. It's our relationship to the vertical, right? How we live under God, which affects how we live in the world. If we understand our relationship to God, we can live in a world that is not honoring of God, but we still honor God no matter what situation. Now, now, church, I, I know what you're thinking because I thought the same thing. What about Christians living under a, an oppressive ruler, right? What about Christians in Burma, China, India, Iran, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, just to name a few? Well, according to Romans 13, all have been stilled by the power of God, and that's a hard thing to grasp. So, you might be saying, well, what about, so you're saying Xi Jinping of China, installed by the power of God. According to scripture, yes. Don't know why. I don't know how God is using that. But I, knew, I know today on a Sunday, right, there are more Christians worshiping God in China than there are in the entire U.S. Amen. So God's doing something, right? He's still working in those situations. Um, now, remember, at the time Peter is writing this to his church, he's not under some friendly democratic society with open worship. There's no way Peter, living the first century, could have ever given these instructions right, to the church in his day and generation with Nero as the emperor and the foul, evil oppression of the Roman government. Otherwise, he would have written something totally different calling the Christian to rise up against the government and the rulers of the day. He did not. But God calls us to live in these societies as his people for his purpose, to live a life honoring of him. Now, I know there are many who might raise another concern. We live in a very unfriendly world to the believer, and we, we have questions, questions that will rise. Aren't there exceptions? Doesn't the Bible give us exceptions not to be subject to governing authorities? And the answer is yes. There are clear exceptions. You know, let, me, there's, let me identify a few of them. 
from the Old and New Testament. But here they are. Here they are. So when the government's orders violates the direct command of God that would force a Christian to choose between his allegiance and the allegiance of Caesar, in other words, when the government actually says something contrary to God's commands, we have a duty to disobey the ruling authority. Yeah. Right? So what does that look like from Scripture? What does the Scripture help us? Exodus chapter 1, the story of the Israelite midwives. Right? The command from the government or the leaders during that time was to instruct the midwives to kill the newborn children. Now, this was a command. It wasn't just an option that they wanted them to kill. They commanded them that they were to kill their children. But the Israelites' midwives said no. The reason? Because it would violate God's law. That's just one example. What about the uh, book of Daniel, chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? Fantastic story. You know, these were three believers thrown into the fire because they would not worship a golden statue as God. They sought to honor God and not the ruling authority. But again, the principle is clear. The state said that they were to do something directly as individuals that would violate God's commands. And they said they could not do that. They honored God before they honored the government. <clears throat> what about uh, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in prayer? It says, um, they saw Daniel was praying to God and he was asking God for help. So they went to tell the king about this. They said, remember, king, what you wrote in the new law. You commanded that for 30 days, nobody must pray to any god or person except you, the king. You know, the state said you're not to pray even in your own house. What did Daniel do? Obey? No. He went into his house. He opened his windows, prayed because he recognized the state could not tell him that he could not speak to his heavenly father. It was a direct mandate, and his response personally, was to tell them, no, he could not. He could not violate his, his vertical relationship with God. Let me run over to the New Testament. What about uh, Acts chapter 5, the apostles and preaching, right? The apostles were said, you cannot personally preach anymore. They were told they could not preach Jesus. And they said, sorry, you're wrong, right? Famous words, we must obey God rather than men. Now, I want you to be, uh, pay uh, special attention here because I want you to notice something in, this, in these uh, cases. There are many cases in the Bible. There's just a few of them. Notice that the believer was called upon personally to make a choice between a government decree involving him or her and God's law. Now, it's, it's hard to understand, but God is instructing us in Scripture that as believers, we are called upon to uphold the structure of civil government, even though it may not institute Christian values except when it violates God's law. You know, believers, we are called to be different. We are called out of this world to live a life that points to God as our authority. Even when situations cause us, cause us uh, to be oppressed or when the world is hostile, we are not called to lash out. The good example of this is found in Jeremiah 29. God sent the Babylonians to, to conquer and capture Jerusalem. He sent the Israelites into exile. This is under God's, God commanded it, right? And what was God command to them while they were in exile, while they were being oppressed? Jeremiah 29 says, These are the words, the letter to Jer uh, that Jeremiah the prophet sent to Jerusalem, 
to the surviving elders and the exile and the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar has taken exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, he doesn't say, rise up, resist, fight. No, he tells them, God tells them something different. He says in verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and their produce. Take wives and their sons and daughters. Have, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. And they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city which I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in it, for in it its welfare, you will find your, your welfare. Thus says the Lord. There's a reason that God sent them into exile, but ultimately God sent them there in that situation. Whoops. Oh, I got it. <clears throat> sent them in that situation really because it honored God in, their, in, in everything they were doing. Right? So we are to be subject to our government, do good. And if we look down to our verses in our text today, we are to live as people who are free. Now, when we get to those verses down in, in verse uh, chapters, uh, back to our text, and then in verse 16, to live as people are free, we should get kind of a warm fuzzy, right? <clears throat> this is good. You know, it's, it's, it, this is kind of the good stuff, right? Live free. That's good. We all kind of like that, especially as we celebrate our Independence Day. But starting, going back to verse 16, it says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but to live as servants uh, to God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, church, what are some of our responses when somebody tells us to stop doing something? You can't say that, right? What, what's our normal response? We said, it's a free country. I can do what I want. Right? Isn't that kind of our response? But as a believer, we suddenly realize that there's a higher law that controls our freedom. Amen. Freedom to the believer right, is conditional. Conditions upon the fact that our responsibility is first to God, that vertical relationship that helps us define our horizontal relationship to others. Now, freedom does not exist in a vacuum. That's why he immediately says to live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil. So understand what this means to be under the authority of God. You know, it's my duty to live as a good citizen, should not come from my obedience to the king or the emperor or president or boss or master, but that I have a God. And under God who instructed these things, I must live a certain way. That's why, I, that's why I'm different from everybody else. Right? That's why the reformers right, paid so much attention to wrestle with the whole question of what it meant to live under God's authority while living as a Christian in the world. You know? So what is my responsibility and freedom? How are we to function as servants of God? Well, verse 17 gives us that answer, to show proper respect and honor to everyone. Now, our society is not geared to show proper respect to everyone. Our society is really geared 
to show respect in order to get something in return. What the Bible says is no. It says you're a Christian believer. You're a servant of God. You must recognize that all creatures are made in God's image. Therefore, you're, they are worthy of honor and respect. Therefore, all must honor and respect those around us by doing good. In doing so, we honor God. That's my first Oreo. Now, the second Oreo, it really, the, the principles kind of flow in the same, same section, right? So we had our, our understanding of our submission to the government, right? How we are to act in those, those contexts, right? The second principle here is our relation to our masters of our life. So again, as we construct this second Oreo, the filling of the main point of this text we're going to find in verse 19. And it says this, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, again our vertical relationship, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, our horizontal. There, and let me go back to verse 18 and read that whole section here. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, I have to admit that this is a little bit strange to me. And when you read in the sections of uh, the New Testament where the apostles were praising uh, and worshiping God when they were suffering for Jesus, you know, they, they thought they, they counted it being worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. It's very strange to think about that, but that's what we're called to do. God is, sees us as gracious in his sight when we suffer for him. Now, Peter, in these next verses, asks a believer to submit themselves to the governing masters over them. Now, even masters who are cruel and unreasonable. Now, the same principle applies from the previous verses. Now, understand that, that during this time, people became slaves during this time in many different ways, right? You can become a slave by being captured, kidnapped, you can be born into slavery. Those facing economic hardships might have chosen to sell themselves into slavery in order to survive. But Peter says in verse 18, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. What Peter here is doing, he's moving through the institution of life that God has ordained. Now he starts with the civil government, which is right there from the beginning of time. And now he's moving to the kind of the work, workplace, workday place, you know, and then next week, we're going to kind of see the continuation of that movement as, as Peter moves instructions to the home. Some of your translations might have servant here, or house slave, or slave. Now, Peter, at the start of verse 18, uses a word here that can be dressed, translated as domestic help, or servant. We might view this in the framework of employment. Now, keep in mind... These people were not free. They were under a master. That doesn't limit the fact that they are of their condition. Okay? But we need to bear in mind that when we read this, these individuals included many, 
we might refer today as being in professional, uh, professional employment. But these people were under a master under those positions. Realize that these individuals being addressed were managers of estates. Some of them were physicians, doctors. Many of them were teachers. Many of them were private tutors. In other words, he's addressing individuals by whom, and in large, in many cases, were well-educated and, and had and really held responsible positions. But all that said, they were still under a master's authority. Now, many of us might think of our jobs as we head out this week as a form of slavery. Hopefully you don't. But having said that, they were still under some master of somebody that they may not have liked or wished to serve. Unlike us, if we felt with a need to leave a job because of work condition, we just might change our position, find a new job and boss. Even so, many, even today, might not have that luxury, but in the time of Peter, they did not have the ability to change their master. But however you find yourself, Peter is reminding his readers and us that we should not view our positions as a form of slavery because of our vertical relationship with God. We are to function with a different character because we are Christians, followers of Christ. We are called out of this world to live differently as we seek to live for Christ and honor God. We are called to live as good citizens to our government and live as good Christians in our positions under a master. Now, why does God, why does, why, sorry, why does Peter give us these instructions to live a life of obedience even when we might endure sorrow and suffering unjustly. We'll go back to our Oreo. Now, we said verse 19 in this section here, talking about work under a master is, our, is kind of the rich sinner. We endure, we suffer unjustly, right? We are subject to our masters because, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. God is honored when we seek to obey Him and not the world. Now, the world will tell you to put yourself first. You're the center of your life. But God says, no, we must follow Him first. So, whether that be with a household slave during the time of Peter or as a good employee of our time today, life that honors God no matter the situation God, it's a gracious thing to God. So let's not disparage God in our conduct of our day-to-day -day living. Peter is giving instructions to what happens when a believer is on the receiving end of unjust criticism or cruel treatment. You know, we have a golden opportunity to display God's love, God's mercy, God's character, and how we live. That in verse 20 says, when we endure suffering, doing good, God sees this as, a, as gracious in his sight. Now, this is an upside-down truth in our world. The world will tell you to not seek your own good. I'm sorry, the world will tell you that you need to seek your own good and not the good of others. But God says, no, seek him first by doing good no matter the situation. And if we do good, God is pleased. Now, church, it's a blessing to be known and pleasing to God. 
We should strive for that every day. This is well illustrated in uh, Luke chapter 6. The principle is the same here in 1 Peter. As Luke writes, If you love those who love you, what benefit is, is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Then here's the kicker. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. In other words, we should display God's kindness because your Father, our God, is kind in, in, to the ungrateful and the wicked. And when you think about it, we know that's true because we are ungrateful and we are wicked. But God was kind enough to save us and redeem us in the, in the blood of His Son. If we remain unkind and wicked to others around us, we don't honor God and His mercy is to us. Being a good servant to your masters is a gracious thing in the sight of God. But we're given the ultimate example in the following verses verses 22 to 25 on how we can live a life that is perfect in submission to God in our suffering. Why? Because Christ is our example. It's exactly this that Peter refers when he comes to verse 21. And he provides the ultimate example of how we can be good citizens and servants because Christ is our example. It says, For this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was a seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not return. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continually trusted him, himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you are strained like sheep, and now return to the shepherd, the overseers of your soul. Now, church, Christ is our open example of how we're to live a life transformed and honoring to God, wherever we work, wherever we live. We need to keep God center in our vertical relationship, and that will have an outflow or our horizontal to this world around us. As we celebrate this weekend, I'll allow us to celebrate your new independence from life and death through the blood and life of Jesus Christ. If we repent of our sins, church, and ask God to save us, he will. This is our daily independence day. We celebrate not just once a time a year, but every day. So church, let us go out. Be good citizens. Let us go out. Be good servants under our masters, proclaiming what God has shown us in our lives. And with that, God will, will be honored and is a gracious thing in his sight. Church, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to come.